It's been a while for me to be preached at throughout the week by the Holy Spirit the way I've been preached at on this one. Typically, in the early days of ministry, I'd always walk into the pulpit and say, you know, God's been dealing with me and preaching at me and teaching me this past, uh, this past week, and now I'm going to share with you what God's shown me. And, and while there always is some truth to that, it's been a little bit, it's been a minute since the Holy Spirit's taught me the way that he taught me this week. So the message I'm preaching to you today may have only been for me, and you're just going to go with me. But I believe this is a word for now. Now, before you think I've changed my message based on the political climate of our nation, I haven't. You see, I believe that the Holy Spirit knows what's coming. <laughs> and I also believe that we are to be light in the midst of darkness. And no matter how hard you try to be light in the comments of your social media, it does not work. Amen. I have yet to find someone and to connect with someone and say, yeah, you know, I was fighting with one of your parishioners in social media and therefore I'm here today to meet Jesus. <laughs> but it's all too often that I find people that say Christians are bigots and hateful and their social media is evidence of that. Church. Can we love people? Can we understand this truth that while we celebrate life and what God has done, we need to understand that the lost are lost and do not know the truth of God's grace and salvation power. So how do we get to them? We love them. We don't alienate. It's almost like, it seems to me that a lot of believers have adopted a told you so mentality. How is that going to work, friends? While we look at the situation, and, and guys, it was masks and vaccines, and now it's the Supreme Court and the, and the political climate, and, and tomorrow it's going to be something else. This book says, Jesus says, that my words never pass away. And there ain't any politicians mentioned in this book. I've, I've looked. And a lot of preachers have tried to look and say, well, this one's name is in there. No, it's not. Can I tell you, we don't serve presidents or politicians. We serve king. Amen? We are in this world, but not of it. And let it be a reminder to us that that is the only hope that the nation of America and every other nation on the face of the planet has is Jesus Christ. Amen? There will come a day. Oh, there will come a day when the king of kings will reign on earth. Behold, he is making all things new someday. Amen? And I can't wait. But today we're in a season. And seasons change. 
Today's message is the purpose of seasons. Anytime a deep theological truth comes my way, I like to take a step back and say, okay, let me look at nature. Let me look at creation. Let me look at history. And let me see if I can find the fingerprints of God in this way upon it. And as I was praying through this message and the purpose of seasons, I began to be reminded that God created the world and the seasons that are in the world. And so therefore, our lives, it, it begins to have a mirror or it begins to have a reflection of our lives goes through seasons as our world also goes through seasons. And so when you think of seasons, they all have a purpose. A time period, yet typically they're not the same period of time, year over year. They change. Now, I know we in our calendars have tried to attach a date to the first day of summer or the first day of spring, but, but how many of you guys know that that's just a, a thing on a calendar? It rarely actually works. You guys know it's hot before the first day of summer. Uh, all the conversations that we have, like, it's not even winter yet. Look how cold it is. Because there's not a hard and fast rule of when seasons start and end. There never has really been. God alone knows when the season stops and a new season begins. And anytime we try to get in there and manipulate it, we mess it up. If you could see what's around the corner in your life, I guarantee you, you'd wreck it. However, seasons are necessary for life. They're repetitive. They flow into one another. And the statement today is that seasons, without seasons, there would be no life at all. Think of the seasons that we commonly know. Spring, it's a season to be harvesting. It's a season of growth, of joy. The warmth returns after the winter. The summer season is a season to be celebrating. Many of us celebrate with vacations and time with family or time away or time off. And then there's the heat. And I don't know if you're like me, but every time I'm in the middle of summer, I'd say to myself, I would rather be cold all the time. And I say the exact same thing in the middle of winter. I would rather be hot all the time. You know why? Because people knows, God knows that people are fickle. We change <laughs> with the seasons. Think of autumn or the fall. It's a season to be planting. A season we celebrate bounty with Thanksgiving and planting for next spring. I don't know if you've ever did any studying, but early in, in, in my home ownership journey, when I began to discover planting grass, believe it or not, it was, no one did that for you after you buy a house. It was just like, I walked out, what in the world's going on? Which by the way, I, okay, I have to come out from behind this because something just hit me. <laughs> I was just going to say, you never see people really planting glass, grass, but my neighbor, I see him all the time. Um, have you ever seen, this is completely unrelated, but it's fun. Have you ever seen anyone in your neighborhood carry groceries in? Think about it. 
Have you ever seen it? How does it happen? I've never seen it. I see myself. I've never seen it. Do they eat? Do they need something? I don't know. It just hits me that I've never, but it still happens, right? I know there's a deep theological truth. Okay, if you, even you don't see it, it's happening. Even when God's not, you don't see God moving, it's happening, but that's not what the sermon's about. I, anyway, I just wanted to, the grocery thing stuck in my head. I got to get back to this. Okay. Sorry. Squirrel. Winter. The winter season is a season to be prepared for. It's a season of quiet, of calm, of even solitude. And yet for life to actually happen, these seasons are necessary. Think of the harsh climates where seasons don't really exist, the, the deserts of the world, or even the Arctic where it's stuck on one season. You see, there's not much life in those areas. Certainly there's some critters or some reptiles or some penguins or some, there's something there, but there's not as much life as you find in places where the seasons are more prominent. But today I would like to encourage you that as we look through the lens of seasons, I believe that we can find ourselves in Jesus' own life. We can find and learn from how Jesus approached his seasons. He went through different periods of his life. Many times we'll come and we'll take and glean from the teaching of Jesus, but today we're not even talking about the teachings of Jesus. We're talking about his life and how we can walk away and learn a lesson. Because I know that my goal in this life is to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. So if I can react and if I can live a life like him, which I know is impossible, and I need the Holy Spirit every single day, but I think in order for me to live like him, I have to know how he lived. So what are the seasons that Jesus walked through? Pray with me and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, teach us. Right now, help us to receive this word, to be challenged and changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. The first season I like to acknowledge in Jesus' life is the season for prepping. The season for prepping. Now, you, before you believe that I'm talking about buying long shelf life food, that's not what this is. There was a season for prepping in Jesus' life. How did Jesus have to go through preparation? He was fully God and fully man. Yet even Jesus knew that there were some things in his life that he needed to do to prepare for the ministry. He is our example. The first thing he did, we'll call it the water. If you're taking notes, it'll be coming up on the screen. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, we read that Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River and to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it and said, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Stop right there. Jesus said, we must carry out all that God requires. And later as he's speaking, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, somewhere we miss that connection. 
So he's being obedient to what the Father is requiring him to do. So John agreed and baptized him, verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. The water was a rite of passage. It was the thing to do for people that were getting their lives right. John the Baptist calling people to repent and to be baptized. Jesus stepped into that water, stepped beyond that crowd for many people to see. It was a recognition that Jesus not only was both fully God and fully man, but was one of them walking in this life. He didn't need to repent for anything, yet he did it to be obedient to what the Father was calling him to do. You see, sometimes you don't need to go to church because you need to go to church. You need to go to church because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes you've you, you got to get beyond the place where you pray because you need to pray because something bad happened. You just need to be praying anyway. Man, I need a word from God. Let me crack open the Bible and, and read something because I need a word from God. Listen, can I just tell you, you always need a word from God? Just do it. You see, Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he needed to set an example because the Father called him to do so. And something that was accomplished there was the greatest picture of the Trinity in action ever. The Spirit present, the Father present, and the Son. Amen. Three persons, one God. Hmm. Maybe a rite of passage or a recognition or something even in your own life, the preparation, the prepping. Maybe, maybe it was school that you finally got your degree. Maybe it was training that you went through at work. Maybe it was parenthood or marriage, whatever the case may be. What was the thing during this prepping, this moment that you said, okay, I've been there. Now I'm ready for what's next. Amen. Now here's, here's, the, here's the thing that will trip you up. Right on the back end, hearing the Father from heaven, Jesus Christ is being baptized. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The very next chapter we see the waiting. So wait a minute. Jesus is baptized. And now the crowds of people are looking at John who's saying, this is, this, this is someone so much greater than me. And then he disappears. Can I just tell you what this preacher's thankful for? I'm thankful that this church is God's. And he uses me in spite of myself. I'm thankful that this rises and falls on the Holy Spirit, not on this man. Amen? I work for him. And I, God, do this, do that, bless this, bless that. Lord, show me which way to turn so I can walk in it. Amen? The waiting. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Sometimes the word lets us know it might be obvious, but we need to understand it. He was hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus told him, no. Let's start there. When the devil comes attempting, what do we start with? No. <laughs> The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. 
Then the devil took him up to the holy city, Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up by with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to you, he said. If you kneel down and worship me, <laughs> Jesus was done at this point. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must not worship the Lord. You, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, then the devil went away and the angels came to take care of Jesus. Notice there was no gap between the devil going away and the angels ministering to Jesus. But man, it was just Jesus and the temptation for about that long. And friends, there are times, wilderness times, where you may feel like you're all alone. But can I tell you, we serve a God who's in the waiting. He's in the wilderness, and he's always at the ready. Amen? And those times of testing are exactly that. You pass the test, the comfort will flow. This is a master class in spiritual warfare. For Jesus, he was in the wilderness, a season of learning, of growing. Even at his strongest point spiritually, the devil crept in to attack. Just when you feel like I am invincible, that might be the moment that you're the most vulnerable. I've been in conferences, I've been in, t in teachings that they always tell preachers, and I, I tell people that I've I ministered to and, and, and staff members, listen, at, at the peak of the mountaintop, at the greatest celebration, at your greatest moment, you are also the most liable for temptation and for attack. Be ready, be vigilant. It's those times when we begin to kind of feel like a little puffed up that the devil wants to come and pop that bubble. But can I also tell you that the devil, I don't believe, attacks when he's, attacks when he's not threatened. Yeah. You feel like I'm doing good, the devil's leaving me alone. Well, maybe you're not a threat. Now, before you misunderstand me, don't misconstrue, don't misunderstand the fact that you may not be under attack, so you must not be a threat. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the devil does attack those that threaten his kingdom. So don't be shocked when you start doing something for God and feel like the devil starts attacking you. <laughs> but there does come a moment. The devil is a strategist in spiritual warfare. He is. Let's just acknowledge that. And he's also not stupid. So he only attacks when there's a window that he might win. Friend, can I tell you how to win spiritual warfare? Make it be known and make it be resolute within your heart and within your mind and within your spirit that he will never win and you will never give in and he will not attack. It's that salesman on the other line. Hello, calling about your car warranty. Now, if you were to respond, say warranty, tell me more. I don't know of any in the room that has ever done that, but they're getting sneaky. And they look for a window. 
And now we know that that's all sales. Can I tell you that the devil's just looking for you to crack the door open enough, to unlatch the lock enough that he can kick it in. And when we give him room a little bit, he takes a lot. That's what he does. He's a master deceptor, a liar, and a father of lies. Men, you're on the computer and you look at that a little bit longer than you should and you explore that a little bit more than you should and, and you begin to crack open that door and the devil is all too ready to kick it open and to take your mental purity. Amen. Ladies, you're tempted. That husband of yours has done something again and he made you mad. That trash has been sitting there for 15 minutes after you told him it was full. Well, I'm just not going to talk to him for the next half an hour. And half an hour becomes three days. And you're walking around saying, I don't know why we're distant, but something's going on here. What's going on? You remember the trash? <laughs> what trash? Can we understand that we live in a constant state of warfare? You act differently when you know that you're in a constant state of warfare. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, you're more careful to allow the enemy to gain a stronghold. <laughs> can, can, can I just go there with you for just a minute? Can we just be suited up with the armor of God, with the sword of the Spirit in our hand, and be vigilant and be fighting in a constant mode of pressing forward and not shrinking back? Amen? So Jesus is in this master class of spiritual warfare, and he wins the victory. And right after that, we find this release. In this season of, pre of prepping, Jesus is now walking into this release moment. Matthew chapter 4 says, When Jesus heard that John had been arrest arrested, John the Baptist, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. In verse 17 it says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. From then on, he began to preach the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching to prepare for Jesus to come. Why is that important? Because when we're walking in the kingdom and when we're walking in sync with the Holy Spirit, God is so good at not leaving gaps. Where one may go away, another can step in, amen? And so when we trust the Lord with that outcome, we know that he is in complete and total control. And I believe with all of my heart, and I know with all of my heart, and I believe and I'm deeply convicted that God wants Greater Life Church to continue to minister and to reach people for the sake of his glory. And because I know that, when there's a gap, he is ever ready to fill it, to equip it, and to bring it to a place of greater things. Number two, a season for planting. Jesus walks into a season for planting. Matthew chapter 4 we see him calling Simon and Simon Peter and Andrew on the shoreline and calling them to be fishers of people. Come and follow me. We call this strategic seating. Strategic seating. Now, when you're planting seeds, you kind of need to put it in soil that will make it grow. See, Jesus recognized these two fishermen and said, those two are going to be able to do, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, those two are going to be able to be fishers of men. And he calls them by name. 
and he reaches out to them and he invites them to follow, to follow him. Can I just tell you, it's okay to befriend somebody <laughs> with the intention of bringing them to Jesus. Man, they're a really charismatic person. I really feel like they would be an awesome evangelist in, this, in, the, in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna be their friend. I believe that God has called us, equipped us, given us discernment to look at people, to connect with people, to relate to people in such a way, strategically, that we bring them into the kingdom of God. Pastor Andrew, shouldn't we reach out to everybody? Yes, of course. Which brings me to number two, overseeding. But how many of you guys know there's greater harvest with intentionality sometimes, all the time really, than there is with this overseeding idea, which basically is you walking around your yard with one of them things and seeds going everywhere. You know you just spread out a 50-pound bag of seed. I don't know how many seeds that is, millions. And then you're going to get one blade of grass because you know you're going to forget to water it. You're not rich enough to have the sprinkler system. Only your neighbors on both sides are. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, goodness. But we see Jesus doing that as well, reaching the masses. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 23, he traveled to the region of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues and announced the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And the people soon began bringing him all that were sick, whatever their sickness or disease. And they were demon-possessed and epileptic and paralyzed. He healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee and the ten towns and so on. Let me ask you this question. Miracles, healing, amazing works. Did Jesus do more with the two fishermen? With the crowd. You hear me? See, sometimes we have to invest in those relationships a little bit longer and a little bit more time in those one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationships. Walking into a room, Jesus loves you! And sitting across a breakfast table with somebody talking about how Jesus loved me. And the Jesus that loved me can also love you. <laughs> that is how you take the kingdom one by one. Number three, a season of harvesting. Can I just be honest? This is the part that I'm still navigating and I'm still dealing with because this is a hard part of ministry. It's a hard part of life. But the season of harvesting, first of all, it's seeing the harvest. In Matthew chapter five, it says, that one day he saw the crowds gathering and Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he, he began to teach them crowds gathering around Jesus. This was seeing the harvest for Jesus. A season of harvesting as he had begun his ministry and not that long after had crowds and crowds of people everywhere he went. I imagine it must have been very encouraging for his disciples and even for him to look around and to see such a response to the message. But how many of you guys understand that sometimes people respond in a very surface kind of way? Yeah. Sometimes people will tell you yes just to get you to shut up. 
But understand this, that that's not really the kind of commitment that lasts into eternity. Which brings me to the second part of the season for harvesting. Sifting the harvest. John chapter 6. Jesus has just got done teaching the disciples and the people that were following him. Lots of hard truths about animosity in the family and about having to give up their earthly wealth in order to follow him. About having to put these things that are important to them aside and to be completely committed to the gospel. And then he went into the idea of how the body and the, that his body and his blood must be taken we know that now he was talking about communion and the Lord's Supper that were to come later. And in verse 66, the people respond and it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Crowds, many deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. You see, Simon Peter got it. One of the reasons Simon Peter got it is because Jesus picked him off a boat, said, I pick you, invested in him. The crowds didn't get it because they hadn't stayed around long enough to see the eternity in Jesus' words. You see, they saw good teaching, they saw miracles, they saw bread. But they didn't stay around long enough to see that these are the words that give eternal life. Can I tell you something? Until you get to that line, you may be tempted to fall away. But when you know that there is no other hope for this world than Jesus Christ alone, then you know that his words are the only ones that give eternal life. There is no other way to the Father but by him. Amen? Let me tell you something. The sifting of the harvest was a challenge because we begin to see things in Jesus' eyes that even the crowds, even the, the greatest teacher that had ever lived, the greatest prophet that had ever lived, Jesus Christ, both fully God and fully man, miracle maker, incredible, incredible leader, all of these things, and yet even the crowds deserted him when it got hard. <laughs> I've told God in my prayer life that, Lord, I'll trust you in hardship and in harvest. God doesn't need people that'll just walk through them in the good days. He needs people that are going to walk through them in the bad days. Amen. Amen. And you see, if, if we serve a God that's going to be right beside us in the good and the bad, who are we to say, God, I only want to be beside you in the good. And when things get bad, I'll let you know when I need you. I want to encourage you with this that there's also a season for resting when Jesus went into passion week we find him getting away from the crowds at the last supper we find him reclining at the table with the disciples Sometimes when we read the Gospel of John, maybe you didn't, but I used to read through the Gospel of John and, and it didn't dawn on me until later in my life that Jesus taught a lot 
at the Last Supper. Several chapters as he talks about the Holy Spirit, as he talks about leading, as he talks about hope. And he begins to have this discourse, this teaching around the Last Supper with just his disciples. Why? Because they needed it for what was next. And so a season of resting for Jesus, reclining, pouring into the ones that had stuck around is what was necessary because what was coming was gonna be hard to digest. Hmm. Which brings me to reviving. Here's a statement. It must be finished before it can be reborn. It must be finished before it can be reborn. You see, friends, there'd be no resurrection if there wasn't death on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished and gave up his last breath. And then a few days later, he's alive. So the disciples that stayed with him were now cowering behind closed doors, fearful and afraid. They weren't in a season of revival or reviving. They were in a season of fear. They were in a season of wilderness. And those three days must have felt like 40 days to be alone, to be destitute, to be without the Savior of the world. He's dead and all hope is lost. But it had to finish in order for it to be reborn. The death had to come first in order for the resurrection to follow. Friends, don't look down on the season that you're in. It may be a challenge, it may be painful, but hope is on the way. been walking with the Lord any period of time, then you know these seasons, they repeat. When it's good, it's real good. When it's rough, it's real rough. But the God of the valley is the God of the mountaintop. It's a life cycle that we walk in, in our world the joy that it is attached to suffering. If you're never low, then what, how do you know what it looks like to be high? Amen. If you never know pain, how do you, look, how do you know what it looks like to experience healing? Amen. This preacher went through COVID, and I'm telling you, I've had a greater appreciation of breathing than I've ever had in my life. Never in my life did I used to sit there in, in my chair at home and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't until I couldn't breathe that I know what breath is. <laughs> and that's how good God is. Allowing me to walk through that. And in the middle of it, I'm going, why? Why me? And on the back end of it, man, I know that God is good. I want to bring you to a question. Seasons of life come and go, they're ups and downs. The Wapanaki Indians, Wapanaki Indians, they had this thing they would do called portaging. 
they were a tribe that was in the northeast of America and they had to constantly be on the move because of seasons, <laughs> weather, the patterns of the livestock and the, and, and the animals and where the plants were. They had to constantly be on the move. And so when they had to move from one area to another, they were moving from basically one body of water to another body of water. And, and they, they couldn't carry all their stuff over these lands because sometimes it was treacherous and they couldn't go by water, but they had to get to the other lake. Or they had to get to the other river because this one was now dried up or it was frozen. So they did this thing called portaging where they would take their belongings and put it in a canoe and then they would carry it overhead from one place to another. And so picture, if you would, a village of these people that are getting together and it's come time to move. The chief has said, it's time to go from this place to that. It's time to move from this season to, a next, to the new season. And, and, and you need to begin to determine what you're going to take with you. You see, part of determining what you're going to take with you is determining what you're not going to take. You know, sometimes that's the harder part. It's what do I leave behind? Not what do I take with me? Because, you know, if it was up to them, they have all the stuff, they'd want to take everything with them. But what if I were to tell you, you cannot take it all with you? Let me remind you that the training and the seasons and the teaching of this life is not just for this life, it's for eternity. God is preparing you for a greater work and a greater kingdom and a, and a new heavens and a new earth. And you better be learning what you need to learn now so when you get there, you're ready. So these people would have to determine, do I take that, do I take that bare skin coat with me? Do I... Do I take this gourd that I use to cook from? Do I, do I take this rug that I've been able to make, this bedding? What, what do I take with me? And they would have to do it often. And yet, for hundreds of years, they were only able to survive because they had the knowledge, the experience to know, I can get another one of those, but I can't get another one of those. I can make another one of those, but I, 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 I need this for what's next. And friends, can I just tell you that whatever you're facing, wherever you're going, maybe the Holy Spirit's just preaching to me, but wherever I'm going, I need to determine what can I take with me, do I need to take with me, and what do I need to leave behind? Because I can't take it all with me, but God's taken me somewhere. He's taken us somewhere. He's taken you somewhere. So what do you need to leave behind? Because I, I believe with all of my heart, whatever we leave behind, God has a new plan for whatever's going to replace it. <laughs> this might have been a little black bear coat that we made that, you know, the buttons kind of pop off, you know, when we eat too much. But there might be a grizzly bear skin coat that's going to cover me and my whole family of four. Amen? That's the hard part is seeing if, I'm, if I let go of this, then will I ever be able to recover that? Let's talk about gas prices for a minute. Um, yeah. You see, here's how the devil operates. 
Because I believe the devil is in the gas prices right now. <laughs> and before I see the prayer team anointing gas stations with oil, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> see, Pastor Victor and Pastor Linda out there. Yeah! It's worth a try. Anyway, you see, here's how the devil operates. He attacks, he attacks, he attacks, he takes, he takes, he takes. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we haven't experienced the goodness of God in quite a season or the joy of the Lord in quite a season or we've been laid off or we've been let go or we've been ridiculed and, and persecuted and yet sometimes, sometimes when we have just this glimpse of a break, we feel like, okay, the devil's going to leave me alone now. Gas prices. I found myself driving back from the beach on Saturday. And it went down a little bit. And in my heart, I celebrated. I said, 443? Bless God. I thought to myself, maybe it'll go under $4. And then we'll have a party. You see, but I remember... I remember the days of blessing when it was 87 cents. So here's, the, here's what I want you to see. Do not take the scraps that you feel like the devil will give you. You believe in the God of heaven and earth that can not only restore everything that's been stolen, but can give you greater things in the future. Amen? Now, I'm going to leave behind what I'm going to leave behind because I know God's got something new and fresh and reviving coming in the land. Amen? Amen. Take your hand out. Hold it open. We've talked about it often, that God asked us at Greater Life Church to approach our finances, to approach our ministry with an open-hand mentality. And whenever it comes in, we say, Lord, what do you want us to give away? And we give it away. And I'm asking you today, that if you close your fist, not only can you protect nothing leaving, but nothing will get in. This is not a financial talk, by the way, so don't get nervous. But when I open my hand, yes, things will get out, but now things can get in. And I believe if we'll approach God with open hands and say, Lord, remove what you need to remove and give me what you need to give me for whatever's next, amen? Keep those hands out and let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now, May you search our hearts, search our lives. Help us, oh God, to submit to you the things that we do not need in our life. The sins that so easily beset us, the bitterness and the anger that may be in our hearts, the habits that have been developed that are not of you, the animosity that we may have in the political spectrum, Lord Jesus, help us to be people of faith and power and peace. And God, may this place be a beacon of light to all that are lost. And as we sit here with open hands, God, may you give us what we need for the next season. And may you root out and remove what we do not need. We trust you with that outcome. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. I want to make an announcement. I, didn't, I made it at the end of the last service. Before we go, let's put that slide back up there. A couple of weeks ago, we announced, announced something called Greater Life Academy that we were launching in the fall of this year. And uh, all I was to do, and when God told me to do it, was to be obedient and to say, we're going to do it. So we're opening up registration in the first week of July. Greater Life Academy is a homeschool tutoring program. It's open from 4K all the way up to high school. What brought us to this conclusion is the fact that when I asked myself, if I had kids, where would I put them? I didn't have an option. The Christian schools in the area have waiting lists that are too long to even get on. The charter schools, you can no longer get in. They have the same problem. And the public schools are indoctrinating our kids as young as eight years old with horrible lies from the enemy. Christian kids getting confused about something so simple as gender. So what do we do? I felt in my spirit, we've got to create an option. I'm telling you as the church so you can pray. When we make the announcement, not only do we not have a staff, still working that out, but we had no idea what to do. But I was being obedient to what the Holy Spirit told me. That's all that God asked us to do. Now, it looks like we've got a staff nailed down, at least some, and we ain't got no kids. But how many of you guys know that if we're walking in obedience to God, he's got all that figured out, amen? Had a conversation with someone, wait, wait. Had a conversation with someone right after church uh, in the nine o'clock. This person has been doing all kinds of stuff and says, hey, listen, I volunteer. I wanna help in any way that I can. This is like a school administrator person. I'm like, what? <laughs> Thank you very much. No, volunteer was an awesome word to hear. It's a good thing, we don't have any kids. Uh, <laughs> but God is gonna use this, I believe, in a miraculous fashion. And I'll say this out loud, and I probably shouldn't. I have a problem of saying things out loud. But then God does it. I believe in three years we're gonna be building a school building. I believe that. I do. Not because we need one, but because God told us to. Because the children in this area need one. They need one. The parents are desperate. In year one, we hope to get 50 kids. It's all we need. In year two, I hope to open another layer of this called a special school for special kids and bring in occupational therapists and physical therapists and speech therapists and the whole nine yards. I'm saying all this. I know it's on video, but it's in faith. And in year three, I suspect we're going to need some lands to build this thing. But I believe God's got that figured out for us too. Amen? Because we're doing this. We're doing this. Can I just invite you to be a part of what God is doing at Greater Life Church? Not for Andrew. Trust me, I'll get on your nerves. But for what God is doing in Mint Hill, Kelly and I planted in 2012, and I'm still going, what in the world is happening? I feel like 
I feel like I'm hanging on to the back belt loop of my Father in heaven. <laughs> Where are we going next? <laughs> but it's to His glory and His glory alone. Amen? So can you just pray with me, agree with me for this next venture? We're having some meetings this week to set up some details, but we just really need your prayer that the right kids would come. I believe this is going to hit two families, homeschool families that just need an option to put their kids in, and then I believe public school families. And I believe people are going to get saved through this. I believe lives are going to be changed forever. Amen. So can we just pray about this, Lord Jesus? I thank you for this precious church family, the congregation that's here today. We do pray right now for this project. We don't want to have anything to do with it if you're not in it. But if you're in it, put us to work. I believe education in a greater way where Jesus, you are at the center is what Mint Hill needs. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you today. May your favor follow us around today like a faithful friend. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.